guys, this is Caleb, and this is a special episode of the Black Tribe Podcast. When Gary recorded this, he recorded it outside in Cleveland, Georgia, in the rain, and so in this recording, you will hear the sound of raindrops hitting the tin roof. Know that this is completely normal and part of the experience. Without further ado, here's Gary. Everybody, welcome to a special Patreon and podcast edition this week, November week of November uh, 13th. And the reason I say that is this is a tribute to my son, Michael Ryan Black. I'm down here in Cleveland, Georgia, uh, just finishing up the last couple weeks of another semester of G42 Leadership Academy. And uh, Friday, November 13th, it would have been Michael's 27th birthday. He was born in 1993. Uh, his birth mother, my first wife, was fully and completely convinced that he was a girl and in fact named him a girl's name and done his room in uh, girls' colors. <clears throat> and uh, it, uh, despite what the doctors kept telling us over and over through ultrasounds and different things that uh, he was a boy, um, she refused to hold that and believe that. So was he born into confusion? Uh, quite p potentially, possibly, absolutely. He was a rambunctious uh, child, <laughs> toddler. Uh, he would drag his uh, little brother around by his leg down the steps um, to bring him to us. He would jump to me from the third step as a as barely a, a child who could walk. And then he would go to the fifth step and then he would go to the seventh step and he would dive into my arms. And then he couldn't understand why I wouldn't let him do that from the top step. Um, as a as a baby and he began to crawl, he wouldn't let his knees touch the ground. He would not touch his feet to grass, but he would crawl on his hands and his feet. He would not crawl on his knees. He refused to. And so he was a wild man, um, natural uh, student, uh, very, very smart. It was nothing for him to get straight A's. He didn't even have to work for it. Uh, natural athlete, uh, all-American football player, uh, USA rugby player. Uh, could have done anything with baseball that he wanted. Uh, he was a phenomenal uh, athlete. And so, you know, as he grew, he um, he always felt things at a deeper level than most people. When I had to fight for his life for custody, he was taken from me. Um, all three of my boys were, as you know, our story. And I hadn't seen him for 30 days. Uh, and I was driving in downtown Colorado Springs and saw him and his brothers walking with their birth mom. And I stopped my truck and called them over and they ran to me and jumped in my truck. When I got them to a hotel room uh, and got them bathed, Michael was bruised on his back, all the way down his shoulders, middle of his back, badly bruised, had been badly beaten. I'm not sure by who at that point. Uh, and I just held him and as he shook for most of that night, um, his littlest brother would yell and scream during the night at me that I was going to hurt them. And they were being told just some radically horrible things. And so it was hard. It was very hard for Michael as the middle boy to understand why his older brother was always trying to protect him and get him out of situations. They would crawl out of windows at state houses uh, to get away and to try to find me. He would get to pay phones and call me. And Michael watched that and helped his big brother 
And then he always wanted to protect his little brother. And I think for most middle children, it's difficult, no matter what the situation, but it was especially true for Michael. It was very hard. Not that it wasn't extremely hard for my older son and younger son as well, um, but very, very hard. You know, we moved to Africa when we got full custody. It took three years. And I believe I was the first man in Colorado, for sure, Colorado Springs, to get full custody of his children. And I'll, I'll say this, and I don't want to come across as judgment. I don't think it's judgment anymore. I, it's, a, it's a lack of understanding of why fathers walk away. I don't understand how dads can walk away from their babies and, and leave them in abuse or leave them in um, ridicule or whatever their situation is, or just, just leave them, period. Um, it's a hard thing for me to grasp in my heart and in my mind. <clears throat> we moved to Africa. Michael was a teenager, young. And, uh, you know, at 14, his 14th birthday, we went shark cage diving. Um, he was a little bit afraid, but embraced it and went in and, and we stayed in for hours and let these great white sharks bash into the cage and swim by us. And it was incredible. He led a team of NFL football players into the jungles of Africa, serving orphans when he was 14, 15 years old for a month at a time. He would go with our team, our world race squads, and he would lead. And those young people that went with him into the jungles of Africa, the NFL players would come back to me and say, who is this kid? He leads like he's in his late 20s. He leads like a man and he's not afraid of anything. And it's just who Michael was. Uh, you know, coming back from Africa, getting getting kicked out and, and, and going back to Colorado Springs was a mistake that I made. Uh, it was seven year drought of losing companies and almost losing my marriage, my second marriage to, to my wife, 20 years now, Lisa Marie. Michael began to experiment with drugs. He got to go see his birth mother again. She got him involved in some very dark uh, things. And he was doing some underground drug partying with the cartel that I knew nothing of. Now, I wasn't as attentive as I should have been. Uh, I did ask questions. We still met as a family every Sunday. I still coached. I still was very involved in their lives. Um, but I maybe just pushed it away and didn't want to know how deep and how dark the drug use was. Um, and as he got older, 17, 18, uh, his, his grades started to go down. He uh, began to stay out for days at a time. Uh, we knew there was um, some major things going on, but I always thought because we were such a strong knit, such a tight family, uh, that uh, we would make it. And uh, by the time Michael was 19, um, he was lost. He did have a full ride rugby scholarship. He had been playing USA rugby. Um, but I, you know, I went to a rugby tournament with him and his brother in Salt Lake City. I think he was 18 at the time. And they won the tournament. They, they were the champions. And we went to a hotel. And I saw Michael in the corner with his buddies downing beer after beer after beer. My heart was just sinking. And I didn't know how to reach my son or get to my son. And so um, I, I was losing him, and I knew that. Um, and, and as you know, at, at 19, he went to prison, and I left him there. He got in trouble, and uh, he tried to leave the country with um, all of my father's and my guns. He'd stolen all of our stuff. We went camping, and our house was basically empty when we got home. And I called the police, and they had helicopters, and they chased him down on the highway, and they arrested him. And I left him in jail for a few days. He called everyone else but me to bail him out and no one would bail him out because they knew not to. 
Uh, when he finally did call me four or five days into it, he's like, Daddy, I'm going to die in here. Please come and get me. I, I did. Uh, I went in. I grabbed him. We held one another uh, for maybe an hour in front of the jail, uh, the prison in South Colorado Springs. <clears throat> and um, we drove home and had just incredible talks. He wanted to turn his life back over to God. He wanted to do what the family values were again. He wanted to confess to me all the things that had happened with his birth mom and, and with the drug cartel and what he was doing underground with the raves and kind of leading the underground rave movement in Colorado Springs, which Colorado Springs is a cesspool for this. It's a, it's a, one of the number one counties, El Paso County in the country for suicide. There's lots and lots of drugs, lots of young men and women that are taking their lives uh, and it's the spirit, uh, and I don't blame it on that. I, I mean, I do fight the enemy, but I don't blame what was happening to him on just that. He was making bad choices. And so when I finally got him home, um, he confessed, did not want to go back to school. I told him to go finish. His, his scholarship was reinstated. And when he was driving away, as most of you have heard, uh, he looked back at me, and I knew I would never see him again. Uh, and I let my oldest son kind of dictate that and make those decisions. And I, I understand why he did that. And uh, I was letting him leave because they were together. And I trusted that. And I still do. Uh, I, I still trust what, what my oldest son was doing. Um, and so, you know, you you question yourself and you look back so many times. And uh, and you, you blame yourself. And I still do. Uh, I had a therapist ask me last night. And I'm just a friend of mine. And she said, are you... Have you ever gotten therapy for Michael's death? And, and I said, no, not professionally. And she said, do you still go on spouts of long depression? And I said, no. I said, I, I know when I could go deep and dark and I, and I don't know why it still feels like it happened yesterday when it's his birthday or, you know, on the date that it happened in April. Um, he had to die, you know, a very violent death. The police have a lot of conspiracy theories of why he died such a, a violent death. Uh, and why he took his life the way that he did. Um, and they're very convinced that that's what he did. I still have people come to me just you know, last month in Colorado Springs and tell me <clears throat> that uh, he didn't take his life, that he was murdered and that his friends were murdered and not they didn't take their lives. And, uh, you know, the truth is, is none of that actually really matters anymore. What matters is how I hold Michael in my heart and how I allow this pain that is so relevant and so real and could take me out at times still. Uh, I'll be somewhere traveling and I'll think I'll see him or I'll smell him, what he smelt like. Uh, <clears throat> again, we were super, super close, just very close. And, uh, and so that can take me out for a moment or for a half a day or maybe November 13th this year, I won't be able to function very well and I just need to be away and that's okay. And I've kind of built systems around that. But uh, the, the thing that I want you to take away and that I will always take away is that that pain has to continue to transform me into a father and, uh, and not just a normal father and to a father that can actually walk in a room and shift the spirit of a room, a father that doesn't need to do that for his ego anymore at all but a father that can walk in and know that the room is safe and things are okay. And everyone in the room can sense that even before I get there. See a true father's heart will enter a room before you even enter it. And it will calm spirits, demonic spirits. It will calm agitated spirits. It will calm anxiety and, and a, a depression in a, in a room. 
and it will bring a peace that surpasses understanding when it's a true father spirit. And that's all I care about at this point in my life is that I know I'm on the planet uh, to serve a generation, to turn the hearts of fathers and parents to children and to turn children's hearts on to activate children's hearts and to see them come alive to freedom, not to religion, not to being more godly or holy, but to, to knowing this Christ that is about freedom, is about indulgence, is about beauty, is about living a life of fully alive, of going on Matthew 10 journeys, journeys that are by, that you just live by faith and you don't know what's next and you don't know how to get there, but you go anyway. Uh, adventure, that's, that's my call. And I want to do that for thousands of more young people. I've done it for thousands up to this point. I want tens of thousands of more. And, and, you know, it's something that one of my interns said to me in Spain at our last graduation. He said, you know, I'm glad I have the Gary Black on the other side of Michael. I don't know what he was like before that, but I can tell you what he's like now as he's soft and he's tender and he's vulnerable uh, and he's strong and he has authority and he's not afraid to say anything of truth uh, through love. And, uh, and you know, at first that kind of hit my, hit my spirit wrong and then I owned it. And, and, and that's honestly who I want to be. And I think that's who Michael wants me to be. I think if Michael's watching, I don't know how death works. I know he's at rest. Uh, if he's watching and sometimes I feel him and sometimes I can sense him. Um, <clears throat> I think that that's how he would be celebrating me today, us as a family. And so on this birthday week, Michael Ryan Black uh, and all the hard things that he went through, the things I did that weren't fair, the anger that I had um, and the, the not being able to protect him to the point of him being alive today. Um, I want to celebrate him. I want to celebrate what he meant, meant to the earth. You know, there were thousands at his funeral and they made uh, wristbands and bumper stickers and they just, they just celebrated him and they still do. I, I can go anywhere, especially in Colorado and run into somebody who loved him and knew him and that he changed their lives. We get so many notes and so many comments and so much every time this time of year comes around of people that we didn't even know life that he just changed because of who he was. And the slogan the kids came up for him is love like Mike. And he loved people really, really well, way better than I did in those days. And so I just want to love like Mike. I want to celebrate Mike and I want uh, his death to continue to transform me and transform a generation. And so I just want to bless you today. Thanks for listening and watching this. If you're watching this on Patreon, join us. We're just trying to build up our, uh, monthly support uh, as we move back into the states with G42 and trying to figure that out financially, trying to figure that out uh, with interns and what pool we're going to fish from. The world race is very low, lost millions of dollars um, through COVID, and uh, we're just all rebuilding and all trying to figure it out. If you're listening to this on our podcast, uh, please share our podcast, get that out there. We're getting, you know, between three to 500 listens per podcast, which is awesome for us and we love it. And we'd love to see that influence grow uh, so that we can just touch more hearts. Uh, so get GaryandLisaBlack.com for any of this. God bless you guys. Hey, celebrate Michael with us this week, if you would. We'll talk soon.